It's time for another exciting, enthralling, stupefyingly monotonous, and entirely unnecessary episode of TV Chinwag. Please welcome your hosts with the meh, Ryan and Jules. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of TV Chinwag. This is episode 41. It is May 2nd, and if yesterday was May Day, then today is a gay day, because with me, as always, is a <laughs> woman who's as gay as they come, Jules. Hey, Jules. Oh, as gay as they come. Is that the best you could come up with? I don't know. I, I, thought, I thought it was all right. <laughs> yes, hello, listeners. Uh, I've called in some support troops today because after even after 41 episodes, not enough of the gay has rubbed off on Ryan, and I have been badgering him. Um, God, you're just going to gloss over that joke about not enough of the gay rubbing off over me? <laughs> Are you going to gloss over it? This seemed like a really good opportunity. For <laughs> um, so I've been badgering Ryan for ages that I wanted to talk about uh, three shows that I'd enjoyed over the last, well, year really, which is HBO's Looking and uh, English series uh, Banana and cucumber but ryan uh hadn't got around to watching them or hadn't watched enough of them so today i have called in the troops i've called in well-known homosexual and very well-regarded television writer bob berens to help me yay bob berens, <laughs> welcome thank you for having me guys i've never been called a well-known homosexual before but i like it Oh, I've been to West Hollywood enough time to have read what's on the toilet walls, Robert. Um, <laughs> um, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome to our little podcast. I'm excited to be here. And I must say, not little, actually, because we are now podcasting live at the moment. Well, not live, because we're recording it, hopefully, um, from three different countries. So this is okay. some sort of amazing international collaboration. Yeah, we're worldwide. This is the worldwide internet. <laughs> uh, so, welcome. Are you, you're in. Um, are you in LA at the moment, Bob? Yes, I'm at just, my place in uh, just, Los Angeles, Silver Lake. Um, just so people can stalk you if they want to. Um, Ryan, any news on your front? Any news on my front? Well, there was news that a certain show that we watched had been cancelled, but then maybe not so fast been cancelled. And I think that was Constantine. I don't think we talked about that when that came into the news. Um, it, it had come up that they said, nope, Constantine's been cancelled, and then, well, hold on, maybe not. And that was the last I heard of it. So they're actually airing it on Netflix at the moment, the first season, and I believe there's meant to be an announcement coming out this month. Um, about whether it will be picked up for season two. Uh, I don't have a good feeling in my waters about that. Mm. Uh, I think that's very fast to be on Netflix. Well, I think they've particularly... Their season just ended, didn't it? Yes. Uh, I mean, uh, this is obviously a strategy to see whether people will watch it and uh, they can get a viewership for for season two. Bob, did you watch any of um, Constantine? Uh, Yeah, I watched um, a good maybe first five or six episodes mm. and enjoyed it uh, a friend a good mm -hmm. friend of mine writes for it and i actually live tweeted with uh the other writers um uh sort of trying to get a little spn constantine crossover <laughs> fandom happening mm -hmm. that was fun mm -hmm. um it's a, it was it started slow but i thought it got good but i think that's about as far as i got maybe the fifth sixth episode maybe um which it's it started becoming really good and then i just sort of uh 
got busy with other things but um i i think it's a it's got a lot of heart it was a it was a good show they've got some really cool premise some really great visual effects and some great scripts it'd be it'd be fun to see it go on absolutely fingers okay. crossed yeah i yeah. think jules uh, did you continue to yeah, watch I think it I, no? I got up to about seven or eight before my dance card got pretty full but yeah i i my theory was it was um you know it just come into a really crowded genre marketplace at the moment and uh difficulty standing out i think my comment was that when i first watched it was you know even five years ago i think it, it it, it would have had a place, but you know we've got superheroes tripping over their capes everywhere at the moment, and mm. and a number of other you know horror type genre supernatural genre shows. So um, plus, a, you know, I just think the network wasn't particularly. I think they were a bit not committed. I think they 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 were happy for to to have a few dates, but you know it it wasn't a runaway hit, which I don't know that they you should expect it to be, but. We will see. We will see. Um, you know, certainly the success, I think, of recently of Daredevil has, has shown that there continues to be a large appetite for, for this out there, although maybe it's only for superheroes. Absolutely. Did you watch Daredevil, Bob? Um, I watched the pilot. Um, I will say that my ability to be uh, critical and honest in my responses to certain TV shows <laughs> beyond the ones under discussion, which I've prepared political, <laughs> but still hopefully scintillating talking points about, um, is sort of limited. But I did it. I mean, I was impressed with the Daredevil pilot. I had some nits yeah. to pick that I won't pick here. <laughs> right. Well, you can take your nits with you. Um, <laughs> yes, we talked about that in our. Well, you, no, but I mean, nobody has to. Nobody has to love everything, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, no. That's and I, I found, no I found the first four episodes I thought were very slow and a bit of a wasted opportunity, but uh, of character development. And but then, by, I really enjoyed it by the the back half of the of the season. But we did mm. that last week, so I've got a few news yep. newsy things, Ryan. Because what do I love talking about more than anything? Um, how television is delivered in this new <laughs> modern era. <laughs> you know me so well. So I've got just a couple uh, of stories which are sort of tangen- chan- tangential to um, interests the three of us have uh, with people okay. people who have been involved in Supernatural as well. So on NBC coming up at the end of the month, um, on 28th of May actually is a, I keep wanting to say mini-series, but I believe the correct term these days, Bob, you might know because you're in the biz, is event television. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> remember, remember the good old days where it was a mini-series? No, it's event television now. Um, is the series Aquarius, um, which ex-Supernatural showrunner and writer Sarah Gamble is EP and writing on, starring David Duchovny, which is uh, set in 1967, and he's an undercover cop uh, looking into murky underworld in LA leading up to the time of the Manson murders. Now, interestingly, uh, NBC have done a deal um, that they're done a deal with themselves, I should say. But what they're going to do is, after the pilot, they're going to drop all thirteen episodes online. They're still going to be airing the series weekly, broadcast, but you will be able to watch through NBC website and their app um, the whole series at once, which I think is the first time that's been done. Interesting, and that's just on their website, or is that on like a Netflix? no? It's not on a streaming service. I don't think other than their 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 own. Um, 
proprietary you know website so you will have the mm-hmm. choice then of watching it week to week or um or watching it through their website which is um you know again starting starting to break down that you know appointment tv model while still keeping it um, and the other one I wanted to talk And how many, how many episodes did you say they were dropping, Jules? 13, so the whole series. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. It's yeah. That's not much of an uh, event television then, is it? That just sounds like <laughs> well, a season. season of television. I just like saying event television because it sounds wanky. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, interesting. I, I wonder how that will, will go if that, I mean, does that help or hurt their weekly numbers? Because you would think... If you could just go and watch the next episode, why would you tune in next week? But uh, also, is NBC in a position where they're no longer concerned with weekly numbers because their weekly numbers are shit? Kind of in the yes, (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it might. I mean, it makes sense. You're certainly going to get some damn accurate numbers if the only place it is is on your site that you can control Mm -hmm. who's going to it. That I mean, it makes sense, but. And probably interesting. We'll see what yeah, happens. Yeah, and knowing their demographic, they they probably know there are people who will still only watch it week to week on broadcast TV, and that's because from what I know, they skew a bit. They skew older in the demographics, so they're probably relying on them being less of online viewers. But then they can capture those people who um, prefer to watch uh, shows that way. So uh, yeah. it is interesting, mm. and it, it reminded me. I mean, a number. Some other series have done this recently, but not dropping the whole um, series at once, but doing it week to week via some sort of streaming service. And in fact, um, it was only a one-off, but the pilot of Supernatural 10 years ago this September uh, aired on Yahoo a week before it aired on um, the WB. There you go. A little bit of history. I can't imagine a lot of people were streaming it. Uh, We were were ahead of the curve. (laughs) You Mm. were. Um, Now, uh, one of the writers on Aquarius is David Reed, who originally came from Supernatural. He worked with Eric Kripke on Revolution. And just expanding the model even further, um, Revolution, which was cancelled at the end of this season, is having um, finishing off its story with a four-chapter digital comic <clears throat> through DC, uh, which David's working on. So, um, again, another, you know, ending the life of that show by at least having um, the story finished off via comics rather than via TV. That's that's a different way of doing it. Did they did that show come from a comic? No. No, that was, uh, that was oh, an okay. original okay. idea. So... This is yeah. So this is taking it then to a different platform to to finish off the story. How well do comic books sell? <laughs> like, do people like do they still sell when you when something like this happens? Is that are we talking ten thousand issues, a hundred, a million? I have no clue. Like, De- does anyone know? Definitely below a hundred. <laughs> yeah, and I think ten thousand would be considered hardy for that kind of. Um, comic, I would imagine. I don't know. Yeah. And interesting. I mean, I just don't understand how can how can that even be a business model someone would want to pursue. I mean, you, if you sell them for two fifty a piece and you sell ten thousand, that's twenty five grand. Well, prices are up who, who now. Are They're paying? closer to four. Yeah, three for, no, three ninety nine oh, yeah. okay. usually. Um, and this is yeah. a digital one, so it won't be available in hard copy. And I imagine it's part of that idea of, you know. <clears throat> uh, Something to do with making sure that audience will then still go and buy the Blu-rays of the last, you know, season. But 
Okay. Must must be working for someone, I suppose. But I just think it's nice to see the story get finished off um, in some way. Not that I was watching Revolution at the end, but, you know, for those people I know who were, there was a lot of questions left unanswered. Bob, are you a comic book fan? Um, my comic book interest sort of begins and ends with female X-Men characters. Um, <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Dazzler. That's funny. That's the only thing I'm interested in, the X-Men as well. Yeah. Strange how that works. Um, literally the only thing I'm interested in is the X-Men. Yeah. Uh, that's a f- th- those... future podcast <laughs> conversation. Yeah, those, those movies are not on my list. Well, they're on a, a list, but it's not the good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think. What else you got for for news uh, for us, Jules? Anything? Uh, no, I think that will do now. Otherwise, I'll go on talking about broadcast platforms and and models of story delivery for a long time. And we've got lots more exciting things to talk about. <laughs> now, Bob's been exposed to the true depth of my geekiness um, about television. Um, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, why don't we go and talk about cucumber and banana? I hate gay men. Why are we even going? I hate them all. They're going to be all like, oh, hi. Oh, hi. Hi. Will you marry me? No. Then why on earth are we doing that? Henry, go! Where the hell are you staying? Can I stay? What's friends? This is an old man who lives here and won't leave. Otherwise known as Henry. Do me a favour. Send him on. They scare me a bit, man. We've had all these years together, but you still keep hoping someone better might come along. You wait too old. You will wait. I will not. You will wait for me whether you like it or not because that's who you are. Help me. Please. Do you want to know what's really going on? I'm going to tell you all about your Uncle Henry. Does this mean you're a bitch? I'm not talking about it, okay? You are amazing. Say moi. Cucumber, a brand new series, starts January 22nd on 4. So, Cucumber and Banana are two shows. There was also a tie-in web series that we'll talk about briefly at the end, I think, Tofu, uh, created by Russell T. Davies, who is known variously. Either you will know him as the man who uh, rebooted Doctor Who in, in 2005, or you may know him as the guy who created um, <clears throat> the original English Queer as Folk back in whatever it was, the late 1990s, uh, which then went on to have an American incarnation and was quite a... Um, what would you call it, Bob? A cultural moment? If you're... Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, so he, for those who don't know, Queer as Folk uh, um, centred around a group of generally late teen to 20-something uh, guys, in Man- mainly guys, um, in Manchester. And his idea with Cucumber particularly was to look at it, um, some older guys uh, but the interesting part of this was the triple um, the triple series, Cucumber, Banana and Tofu. So Tofu was a web series which was sort of a documentary talking heads. We had Banana, which is a series of almost like one-off character study, not, qu- not quite but almost standalone, but there are threads that connect the stories together and those stories also connect with Cucumber, which is a more traditional one-hour drama. Um, I'll just throw to you, Bob. What did you think of Cucumber and Banana? I think it is 
a fascinating experiment. Um, I know you have watched, I think, the entirety of both seasons. I um, am uh, sticking to the U.S. release mo- um, schedule, so I've only seen about half of each season, uh, a little less than half of each season. Um, so to me, I actually, I'm a little inconclusive about what the show is looking like as a whole, um, but I will say that I find it actually a very uncomfortable show for me, which is not something I say about a lot of stuff. Um, but it's also bringing up and representing aspects of gay experience I'm surprised to see on TV at all. Um, and also, as a narrative experiment, I find it really compelling and really interesting, if not uh, wholly successful. Um, although, again, I reserve judgment till I've completed the, se- the, the series. So, yeah, the... How far, how far did you get through the, the first season? I've seen three episodes of Cucumber and three of Banana. Or banana. <laughs> banana. Banana. <laughs> what about you, Ryan? I know you've you. I don't think you've seen Banana, but you have watched Cucumber. Some of Cucumber. Uh, yeah, I, I watched uh, four four or five episodes of Cucumber. Um, I I like it very much. I mean, I, I like most British series. In fact, especially if they're a comedy series, and this is a bit of a subversive kind of comedy. It's not outright dress up like a woman and, and fall down in a bucket kind of <laughs> classic British comedy. British but... comedy. <laughs> classic um but um you know very understated very um interesting i I, you know i find it fascinating looking in on you know um, men of a certain age uh and their committed long-term relationship and what that experience is like for them um or how it's how it's very similar to uh to other experiences um I find it a little bit depressing being a guy who's getting older um, and then looking at the young people and, and their culture and how they're doing things and, and, and how that evolves and how that changes. Um, but overall, I, th- I thought it was a really fun, interesting show. A lot of stuff that I, I you know, I don't really relate to, obviously, but um, but I don't think is absurdly wrought with any kind of problems right i mean that, that seems it seems like a pretty plausible scenario that that uh that that we're watching or a plausible situation that these characters could be in well yes i i'm so i'm interested bob when you said that um it was uncomfortable viewing i, I certainly felt it was a bit more than a plausible situation so it was it was a bit too much like real life um uh-huh. and there's a well- uh, sorry well, I was just going to say that, I mean, what's been interesting is that for for a long time now, representations of gay life have sort of had to bear the burden of being exemplary representations mm. or, uh, you know, their retrograde representations. <laughs> but now, like, with Cucumber Banana, what's interesting about those shows is that it's definitely a post-exemplary representation. And so we're seeing gay people being complicated and shitty to each other (laughs) and to other people as well and to straight people and the show has the freedom to live in that space and so on the one hand like i've been chomping at the bit for complicated stories about really the uglier and more uncomfortable (laughs) sides of gay experience and now i'm actually watching it and i'm like oh i don't want to be reminded (laughs) of, of the truth um so it, in that sense, it's a very interesting kind of breakthrough moment in TV, I think. Yeah. Uh- it, it's nice to see these, um, these, Jules, these characters that are, um, 
that are complicated, but not in necessarily stereotypical ways. I mean, you see them fucking up good relationships for no reason, or, you know, they get something in their head and, you know, the audience says, we know this is the right decision that you should be going and then watching your character go off in the other direction. And I think that is, is something that's interesting because it's not just about, you know, you're obviously making mistakes here and, and the audience wants you to get back on track or at least in some of those situations. Mm. I think, um, I mean, and it's interesting to compare and we'll talk about HBO's looking later, which picks up, I think, on some of this and actually attracted quite a bit of, of criticism um, you know, for not being that exemplary model or that sort of, you know, I don't know where modern family fits in that. It's more on the retrograde end of the end of the scale. But as a friend of mine used to say uh, when we were at Pride March, you know, where are the people with the sign saying we are your serial killers too? Um, <laughs> uh, and I think one of the wonderful things Davies has done here is um, – and and having watched all of, of both the series, he doesn't have, you know, that linear, this is a character is going to evolve from here to here. It's about characters experiencing things, but no, they don't all learn shit and they don't all get better and they don't all have a linear path. Right. They're very messy and often yeah. internally or externally contradictory. And... um. Uh, one of my discomforts watching it is a bit sort of every time I'd find a character that I was sort of clinging to as my POV or my safe space in in, in the show, they'd go and do something fucked up, and mm, and right. so and, and so in Cucumber the the hero or the hero the main character is Henry, who's in his mid forties. He's been in this nine year relationship, um, which is sort of falling apart as we as we start the show. Although, you know, the rest of his life seems unextraordinarily normal uh, and sort of ticking along. Um, I find Henry f- infuriatingly passive in many ways um, and at the same time, understandably, like he's just, you know, he's just a guy. <laughs> um, <laughs> what did you think of Henry, Ryan and Bob? Uh, I like Henry a lot, but uh, like you, I get infuriated with him for fucking up his life. And essentially, he's going through a midlife crisis. Um, you know, the same midlife crisis that we've seen in so many television shows or movies where usually the main character goes and buys a sports car and leaves his wife. Um, <laughs> you know, he decides that, uh, you know, he wants something more and he wants to be young again and he splits. And I think that's a really interesting a really interesting side of him. I mean, he's schlubby and and middle-aged and wants to he's be He's sort a, of the British Louis, British Louis CK. <laughs> I, I, yeah. No, he's I not. think no, Louis Louis more street. <laughs> Henry's Henry's very um yeah, he's very uh, accountant like. Bob, what did you think of him? Um I found him very difficult to watch. And again, this is a a little bit of a um a testament to the show as well as a possibly a criticism. Um I think it's, you know, the issue of age in gay culture is really interesting and I think amongst gay men, the sort of emphasis on youth and sort of uh, bitchy judgments of aging um, are just it, for me I found it very hard to watch someone in their f- mid 40s uh, engage in a sort of constant lecherous 
um, state with regards to a bunch of much younger guys. And at 36, sort of being on the threshold of that, it's like, is this my destiny? Like, um, (laughs) I hope not. Uh, Should you should you grow a white beard and start wearing sweater? Yes. I'm ge- and I really do, I can see that I'm really definitely on the Henry path. I, I just don't even think I can argue that that's where I'm I'm going. Oh no! Um, and so it's it is challenging and interesting to watch. And I, but I think it's interesting because it's it's latching onto a theme that I've seen explored, as you said, a, a many times in sort of straight in sort of heterosexual narratives. And I find those both, I mean, less easy to take in that it's like, oh, well, I've seen this story before. I don't need to see it again. But easier personally to distance myself from and not get quite as squicked out um, as I sometimes in by by Henry's behavior. Um, and there's a, he's a he's a really challenging protagonist uh, to to like, I think. And that interesting comparison there with the sort of straight version of this story is because there are different power dynamics involved with Henry's interaction with so for people listening he interacts with the characters who mainly inhabit the banana series um who live in this sort of warehouse uh, now where did the names of these these programs come from um, they're to do with um what's the word uh penis turgidity measures <laughs> Tumescence measures. Is that the right word? I love say I love saying yeah, tumescence. Yeah, yeah, so it, it was some yeah. Swedish study that tried to quantify the um or, or quantify, is that the right word? Find uh, measures for how hard your penis is. So there was banana tofu firm tofu, not the egg custard sort, because that would be probably a medical problem. Um <laughs> Banana, banana with the skin off, uh, banana with uh-huh. the skin on, and cucumber, or the other way around. Uh, that's right. <laughs> but that raises a really interesting question. I wanna, I wanna ask, and maybe you, having seen the whole whole show, can answer it for me. I find it interesting that the flagship show about middle aged gay men is um, titled after the harder of the fruits and vegetables representing. Fel- I mean, that's, I mean, that's that's just showing what Henry's after, right? Like the. He's he's wanting to be cucumber again. He okay, and so the banana I, characters I um, are in a state of soft youthfulness. <laughs> or, I think, or medium I think soft? in a way, it reflects the also the narrative. So banana continues and actually moves away. Uh, you know, continues with these sort of uh, each episode is a different character's story. So it's like a short story around different characters, mm. and by the end, they have moved although there are still queer characters in it, the focus of them is broader in a way, I think, um, mm-hmm. whereas Cucumber is is more, almost more insular and more focused obviously on, on, on Henry and, and, um, and Lance and, and their cohorts uh, and more sex and relationship mm-hmm. focused. So I'm probably making too much into that and maybe... RTD just thought Cucumber was the better name for the flagship series. <laughs> sure, <sounds laughs> Absolutely <good>. no idea. <laughs> and no, I don't know no. why they're called the, um, the web I, I, series Tofu. <laughs> I really liked the, um, the first episode of Cucumber um, where they were all at the table with their friends and they were out for dinner on the Friday night. That's the show I want to watch. I, wanna, I want more of that, you know middle-aged gay guy sex in the city <laughs> kind of thing instead of 
instead of the sadness that that we go through with Henry being desperate and and trying to cling to some sort of youth, uh, you know, I I like I I really enjoyed that scene and seeing that dynamic between the couples and um I I thought that was hilarious. That was one of my favorite parts of of the series. I think. I think you do get some more. And I'm not sure whether it's melancholy and or bitterness. Bob, you might have an opinion on that. At the beginning of the series, does shift over the series. There are there are actually more of those moments, but I don't think Davies mm. was out to tell a happy hope, a, a story that was un no. problematically happy and hopeful. Um, I think he like think you know this is about any point in your life and whether you're you know, 36, 46 or 56, you know, what's it all about? What have you done? What does it mean? <laughs> you know, um, it, there's sort of a, a real like, existential angst in there, I think. But I'd also watch and Gay in Sex way- in the City as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. well I, and I think, too, I mean, it's, I think it's trying to sort of accurately reflect the role that friends decreasingly play in your life as you get to sort of middle age and it becomes you get sort of more isolated in relationships and stuff and so Mm. although we can check in with their sort of larger social group um i don't if there was that sort of reassuring sense of this extended social family that was continuous i don't think it maybe could have explored some of the stuff that the show does get at um although it's interesting because because davy said that the reason he started this show was based on a conversation between him and a friend about why are our friends so happy when we break yes. up. He said that was the generous of the genesis of it. And so it is funny that that social context for Henry and Lance's relationship does seem to drop off at least from the three or four episodes I watched. It, it's interesting because it, that, again, swings back towards the end of the series in, in a way that, um, again, I think Davies plays with that as being both... Um, a positive, and it's both Henry's relationship with with his new younger friends, but also his his sort of age cohort as well. But he Davies never presents it as the answer. You know, it's never um, that sort of utopic community is everything. We are family, sort of um, pride march community. It, it's it's um, you know it's relationships, and whether they're like his sister who who plays a bigger role or his friends or old or new it or partners it's all fucking hard (laughs) and um Uh you know none of those are offering um you know a solution to the fact that um you still got to try and find your own meaning and and purpose in life which is well that's the question (laughs) (laughs) um Damn, I thought yeah. you had all those answers. One thing, and I'd be interested to know because, of course, none of us here are actually English, um, and and particularly Bob, from your point of view, you know, where I mean, I found so much of what was presented, particularly from queer life. And anyway, I should say it's very much a gay male series. Banana has a few queer women in it, but Cucumber is exclusively gay men and Henry's sister, um, who's who's straight. Um, but even so, mm-hmm. it reflects sort of my, and, and it's probably the age thing as well, very much expects, uh, reflects my experience of, of, you know, being gay over the last 30 years. So, um, you know, were there elements of that culture that you strongly related to? 
Um, I'd say I'm sort of, I'm a, you know, like a decade younger than Henry. Um, and definitely older than the younger, you know, the younger banana set. So I'm a little bit. <laughs> so, uh, I like that. Now. The banana set. I want to call them that from now on. <laughs> the bunch. Um, <laughs> And so I'm a little bit in between. And then there's the cultural differences of British Mm. versus, you know, American stuff like that. But certainly in terms of a sort of befuddled attitude towards uh, changes in gay youth and stuff, I'm beginning to creep into Henry territory. Um, I, I mean, I did think that in the conversations and particularly in sort of the divisions between young and old, I found some parallels in my own experience and a sense of sort of the culture and uh, I it it felt more or less authentic to me, I guess. Yeah, I think even and even some of the things like uh, you know from my experience, the fact that Henry, as this guy in his mid forties, moves in with these younger people is you know is something I see more often amongst you know my queer friends and my straight friends. Um, the that those sort of connections within the community that's sort of more accepted. Whereas if there was a you know, you don't get mid forty straight guys moving into a household full of less often. Anyway, there were those sort of smaller things you do in the movies <laughs> I watch. Which ones are they? <laughs> I can't tell you the names. <laughs> um, they usually have the word house in it, though. Frat House Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sorority girl house five. Um. I was interested because, of course, RTD's Queer as Folk was oft uh, criticised for its lack of or not particularly positive portrayal of women in them. Um, and so I thought a lot about that with this, which, I'm again, I think I'm happy with there not being that many female characters because I know men whose lives are like that. On the other hand, I like seeing myself on the screen. And so I was pleased with Banana, even though everyone in that's – um, about three and a half centuries younger than me, um, that there were more female characters. And there is one older um, lesbian in, in that who actually features in the finale episode and is quite quite mad and quite brilliant. Um, any comments on that? More lesbian action, Ryan? I know you would have been wanting. <laughs> well, yeah, you know me. I'm, that's that's what I'm all about. Um <laughs> I, 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 the only one I'm thinking about is the sister, uh, his, uh, Henry's sister. She was great. I thought she was hilarious. Um, and an interesting role, you know, it was an interesting character. It had something there other than just being there to provide information. I, I thought she was great. Do they come yeah, back she, to her Yeah, certainly more her storyline and her sons, sons and da- son and daughter, um, become, <laughs> become right, more right. prominent, um, you know, mild spoiler here. Henry starts this sort of, um, I don't know what you call it, sort of semi-porn business with some of the young young people, yeah. uh, which I think is early, early on. Um, but also there is um, the sister has, whose name I've forgotten, isn't that terrible? Um, Cleo, I think. Um, she has... A, storyline of her own um as the as the season goes on which which centers um around sex as well which is quite good um that's one thing i I really and bob touched on about henry becoming very really lecherous and uh kind of becomes a little that was kind of weird like what generally you don't want to be following your protagonist to be a little bit creepy or like a, a bit of a creeper and that was kind of the thing. Was like, ah, oh, God, this is just weird. Why are you? Why are you doing this? Why don't you? 
you know, go back to Lance and, you know. And and it's interesting because I feel like the show is kind of, at least where I am in the in the run of the series, is unre- is a little unresolved about, is Henry, are we rooting for him on some level to get this last taste of youth so he can go back to Lance? Like, are we actually hoping he can break through Freddy's kind of haughty, you know, remove? I mean, certainly in the end of the second episode, it almost felt like, oh, it's maybe within reach. And then... Um, I, I don't know if we want to get into episode-specific plot points too much, but in the third episode, he plays sort of a white knight role mm. to Freddy. Um, Freddy is, an, you know, there's a situation with a former uh, teacher of his, and and it's what's right. interesting is even that sort of moral authority Henry gains by playing a role trying to help Freddy out in that moment against this other guy. In this, within the same episode, he has sort of ramped up his sexual slash commercial exploitation of his own nephew. Yes. <laughs> um, right. Which, uh, to me, on the one hand, I just sort of win with it. But on the other hand, I was like, that's his nephew. <laughs> like, I, 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 it was really kind of intense. His like, nephew who's straight. His nephew who's straight, yeah. <laughs> but I think that's an interesting thing it does, on which is obviously different within this sexual cultural context, is that the power dynamics are less clear cut. I mean, if it was his straight niece, we'd be like, no, uh, un- un- unequivocally, you know, yuck. Right, right. Um, but again, yeah. I think, Bob, as yeah. you pointed out, to do with, you know, the if you like, the, the sexual currency within the gay community, um, you know, the, the 1%, if you like, those who hold the wealth of the young people. And so mm-hmm. that changes that somewhat changes that power dynamic, I think. So Freddie knows that that's, I mean, that is Freddie's currency. Um, And they do really interestingly explore his character and his relationship with Henry as right up until the, actually the final scene of the series. Um, Because, you know, we know Freddie's damaged as well. and, and, And I like the way that, you know, he starts off and you, you know, he's just this arrogant young shit, but you get... He's that, but he's other things as well. But I like they don't ever, you know, he's not the asshole with the heart of gold at any point. Mm-hmm. Again, he's no, as none no. of the characters are. But um, I think it brings up one of those things about how, you know, and how, the, how your culture shapes your perception of yourself and what your worth is. So, you know, Henry's caught in this conflict between his own desires, but also what he knows his his culture values as well. And it's interesting because one thing it values is actually sexual experience. I mm. mean, that's sort of the, the sort of, you know, the trade-off between the respectability of being a settled gay man versus the, within the sort of gay male culture, the sort of like, which is actually not that different from a sort of bro straight male <laughs> culture of con- you know conquest based. So for like Henry to both you know to have a limited sexual experience and 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 it even goes into another issue, which is Henry's sort of lack of sexual versatility and um, experience even within his, with his own partner. Yes. Um, so it's it is a crisis of masculinity on gay terms that he's going through, which is on culturally gay terms, mm. which is. I don't think I've ever seen represented like this before. No, definitely not. And and it's problematic. I mean, the difficulty is at, this, at, at one point you feel for Henry. At the other point, I get really frustrated with him. Like, what does he want? Um, and, 
there seems, you know, and that's the thing. He he doesn't know what he wants, does he? Yeah, and I think it. No, he just doesn't want to. He just doesn't want to be getting older. He doesn't want to be middle aged. I, I guess. Uh, and I've, but he does use that to his advantage sometimes too, doesn't well, he? Well, he. I don't know that he gets a lot of advantage. He does get some advantage out of it. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's all swings and roundabouts for everyone in this. You know that they they have something to trade mm. on, but it doesn't always get them what they want. And I think. Subtly, it plays on that idea of authenticity too. Like, because none of like the idea that there's this authentic you inside that's just going to, you know, once you find that, it's a done deal. Because it's not like any of these characters aren't striving for something. Um, It's just that there's this disconnect between how they see themselves or how they want to be and who they actually are. And I like that play in the as an audience member, you can see that. All the characters, you know, want to be seen in a certain way or want to be a certain way, but the reality is quite quite separate from that for most of them, which is sort of depressing. <laughs> yes. I found the show quite depressing, actually. <laughs> yeah, not the happiest. All right, anything else you want to say about that? Um, it's really good watching the two shows together. Um, the links between them, like you could watch either show without watching the other, um, and the links between uh-huh. the characters are, you know, tenuous isn't quite the right word, but they're not, they're not right. huge. At the same time, it gives you that thing of seeing characters from different perspectives, and I like that because, again, it's playing with that thing about perception. So... You know, you move from a world where, you know, Henry is the centre and the focus over to Banana where he's he's off to the side and, um, uh, you know, a secondary character and you see him and other characters from different perspectives. So, again, it's playing with that idea is there is no truth here. There are these different perceptions and, and how you think you appear will look different to different people. And it, and it goes past just um, the perspective of the narrative we're picking up with, but even the scenes play out with marked, just literal differences. Mm. Um, and I think in the first, you know, the pilot for Cucumber and the pilot for, for Banana, there are a couple scenes that play out drastically different. It's not, it goes beyond just the way it's shot yeah. or it's more in this one character's story. It's literally, they've remembered it or experienced it completely differently. Um, in one version, you know, the young guy is very seems to be very sexually aggressive with Henry, and then when we see it from the young guy's perspective, Henry looks like a creeper, yes. you know, who's trying to get with him. And what's really interesting to me is that this is coming out at you know within a year of a show that's doing a very similar thing with a heterosexual play of perspective, which mm-hmm. is the affair and the pilot for the affair. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're both shows that are sort of in, sort of deconstructing on some level the idea of a single, as you were saying, like in a you know a single authorial reality that we're watching. Mm-hmm. And it's inter- I wonder if this is a, a short-term experiment or if this is maybe, you know, a step towards a less, like, unified presentation of TV in the first place. I would judge by the ratings for Cucumber Banana. <laughs> it's maybe a dead end, but um, well, it, uh, we'll yeah, it's Well, that's a bit of a niche but, within a niche, I think. But um, mm-hmm. now, if the affair was... I think Ryan and I both dubbed it the show we thought we were most likely to dislike and that we both really enjoyed last year. Um, and and yeah. for those who don't remember, it's it's the story of an affair, um, but it's told from the perspective of each of the, the people involved and exactly as Bob described in that scenes replay uh, 
generally half an episode is her perspective and half is his and the way memory and the stories we construct for ourselves are very different. And that made it, I thought, a really exciting and discomforting show to watch because, like, I was so paranoid for months after that. Every every conversation I'd have with someone, I'd be going, oh, my God, but you're hearing this so differently, <laughs> which is something <laughs> I know. But it was it was seeing it laid out very, well, in that case, very unsubtly and un, un, um, uh, ambiguously that we, we do these things differently. And I love how Banana and Cucumber does it. A lot more subtly, and and you'll know, as the series goes on that that happens again and again. Just things like characters, you know. Sometimes it is dressed better, um, and particularly you know the perspectives on Henry, uh, where he goes from seeming like um, you know this this creepy old guy to um, you know someone quite different. And um, I like that, but it is discomfort. It's a hard place for an audience member to be I think because it doesn't give you a nice little sofa in the in front of the story to, to to just snuggle up in because you're there's these jarring moments in it that's a even the way you just put it it's interesting because it never really occurred to me a way in which television is fundamentally more conservative than literature and and prose fiction has been sort of breaking that sort of unified reality and playing with mosaic structures of perception for a very, very long time. But TV, just by being visual and literal, tends towards this is what happened, you know, a sort of literalism. And now it's interesting that TV and sort of our whatever late second golden age or whatever (laughs) we're in now is actually kind of dipping its toes in that kind of structural postmodernism in a way it hasn't yet. Um, So, Mm -hmm. interesting. and I think. Yeah, very to, interesting. I love it. <laughs> to get back to my hobby also, it is because <laughs> we have all these different niches now and different places for these stories to come yeah. out. And different transports to get them out to the mm. world and, and deliver them. You know, it's interesting. Look, the, the rate. Jules, why don't, why don't you touch oh, on that for a little bit on our different delivery up. methods of television? But it does. It, it means that there's more space for, for the people who want to watch Law and Order can watch Law and Order. And. You can have shows yeah. like this, which I think are on, is it Logo TV, something I'd never heard of in the US. Um, it actually aired on Australian network TV, mm. um, uh, both Banana and Cucumber, and obviously it was on, was it ITV, um, Channel 4 in the in the UK. Um, but look, mm-hmm. you know, by dint of the fact that it is, you know, gayer than a truck full of rainbow flags, um and and has you know it's it's not gay sex in the city so it's not happy and light and funny uh it's always going to have a minority you know a, a small audience but i think uh and there are a couple of episodes both in and particularly one that i can't spoil anything about but there's one episode in cucumber that i think is it's the sort of tv writing that you know is going to be talked about for decades it's quite extraordinary mm. um and yeah, I'd be interested once you know, Bob. Uh, particularly you, once you if, if if you watch to the end of Cucumber, um, it, it ends on a note which is uh, I'm still mulling over whether it's a cheap punchline or um, a deep reflection on um, uh, you know where where we are in gay life. It's 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 hard to tell. It can, it's either both very playful or very very depressing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Bob, is this a show that would work in the U.S.? 
Um, would we see this on NBC? <laughs> uh, I, sir, I, I would be surprised to see it on NBC. And I, I mean, I, would we, could we see it work? Um, not NBC. Yeah, not. Well, like The Office, right? The Office came from BBC, it was on NBC. I, but I think, uh, right. you know, as, as Jules was saying, the sort of minority audience factor, it's like if you're going to tell a gay story to a wide audience on a network that's at least theoretically going for a wide audience, I think it's very hard if it isn't either exemplary or. I think it's just a very particular story. And, like, particular. It, I just mm-hmm. think it without a hook or a reason why we're saying, okay, straight America, watch this show about gay people. And I think mm-hmm. generally the appetite, it's, it's a little easier sell if there's a more, a less personal tragedy side to it or a social is- issue thing. Like, this is your social responsibility to watch this show because it's about X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. historical moment in gay, civ- you know, whatever. Um, I could see a Prop 8, you know, miniseries or something, <laughs> event television, maybe on NBC. Mm-hmm. Oh. But this very particular story about... Um, a difficult to like uh, gay middle aged man schlub is, uh, mm-hmm. I think, would be a hard sell. And what's interesting too is I think even straight audiences, you know, there's the issue of gay sexuality. It's like, oh, well, gay sexuality is going to turn them off, so let's tone them down. But I actually think we're in a place too where um, straight audiences, you know, who are amenable to watching a gay show are probably more are still a little eye candy driven and would like a a more attractive, youthful and less depressing and real uh, story of gay life to escape with. And I think this would, well, I guess, I guess that brings us to our next, the next show that we're going to talk about, because I think that's pretty much right down that road, um, which is HBO's looking. It's San Francisco. It shouldn't be so hard to meet cool people in this town. Never take back what's that I said that I will always come back to you. You've had like one boyfriend your whole entire life? Well, that's just because I haven't met the right person yet and I don't want to compromise. Instagram filters have ruined everything and I can't tell if this guy's hot or not. Mmm, Patty, that is a lazy eye. How old do you think I look? In daylight or candlelight? I'm uh, turning 40. The last time we spoke was eight years ago and you were waiting tables. So what are you up to now? God, I'm such a cliche. You mean how you dress? <laughs> this is about Frank and I being open to new experiences together. We can be whatever we want to be. Yeah, but what if we don't agree on what we want to be? You have to find someone who understands you. Oh, God, I just I suddenly got very nervous. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're a funny guy. This is our opportunity to take control of our lives. Commitment looks good on you. This could be a new start for me. Um, which is a, a, a very gay-centric show. I mean, all, I, I think all of our major characters are homosexual, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I've seen only one episode of it, so I really I, I can't even talk about it. But um, from what I watched, it was good. It was, you know, well-acted, well-written, you know, everything you would expect from something on HBO. Um, The characters, I thought, were likable um, and very common. I mean, it was very everyday life, is what it felt like to me, and and realistic, you know, people looking for relationships and and love and trying to get out of relationships, and it was very 
I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to say mediocre because I think it was done well, but it was just very humdrum life. Am I wrong? I've only seen that one episode, so <laughs> why don't you guys talk about it and tell me why I should be watching Looking? It. Ha- um. I. I'll just jump in and say that there's an issue of um, naturalism, and I think that there's a little bit of a hipster artistic approach to the story and to the way it's filmed and to the sort of uh, organizing principle of the show, the voice of the show, that for me always left me just a little bit cold. Um, I wanted a little more heat and juice and pop in in the show. (laughs) Um, That said, I watched every episode and found it compelling. And um, yeah, uh, uh, I'm curious to hear what what Jules said. Um, it's interesting. I mean, I think there's a – they're very – like, so Looking is a very different show to Cucumber specifically, although generally, to go back to where we started talking about, it's it's interesting in that it's, it's – so it's gay men in San Francisco. It's not a coming out story. So it's, you know, they're, they're men in their 20s, 30s, 40s and beyond. Um, generally, they're, you know, sort of 30-something. So they're not dealing with – you know, coming out or anything like that. They're more dealing with, you know, what to do with my life, how to find the partner I want. Um, it's certainly not uh, as, you know, as dark as uh, as Cucumber, though. But the thing is, uh, it, it, often, it got dubbed by many people the, um, the gay version of Girls, um, which I don't watch Girls, so I can't uh, um, comment on that. But it's strange in that I binged watched with friends the first season when it was on and then, most more recently, the second season, um, and we kept watching at some points despite ourselves. So it, it's the, the the main character Patrick, played by Jonathan Groff, um, again is this really passive character, and I hated him and mm-hmm. <laughs> him and and the relationship he has with Kevin, who's the wonderful Russell Tovey, uh, an English actor who he actually plays, who is actually gay and who is actually playing a, a an English character in this. Um, but what we what we realised was. And and it was I can tell you certainly here in Melbourne it was hugely popular in 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 the gay community, um, partly because I think it felt like we were just we would watch it and then we were just like it was like gossiping about your friends like oh my god why has he got together with him, and um, it's it's. Uh, it's entertaining enough. I think it, it worked really well on binge watching. Uh, I don't think I, I, I watched, started watching the first season and watched two episodes and didn't really continue with it. But then when I binged watched it, um, I got into it. Um, again, it's not, it's not, um, what did you call it? It's not the exemplary gay life. This is messy and these are not all wonderful, nice people. Um, it's one of those weird, comedy dramas we have these days where it's not particularly funny a lot of the time although it has some good one-liners in it it is more of a half hour it's half hour i think drama um but yeah and at one point um when we were binge watching the second season some friends dropped round and we left the show playing and at one point i realized that the conversation in the lounge room exactly mirrored what was going on on the screen which was sort of really depressing um so yeah, I I enjoyed it, but I sort of didn't like myself for enjoying it because I I don't think it was inc- entirely successful. But then I thought I'm actually happy to have a show that's all about gay life that's not particularly good. 
because we should be able to have those. <laughs> you know, it mm. should be as allowable to have an ordinary, not very good show. Um, it's the fact that we've had so few of them, I think, that also still drives an audience to go, oh, my God, I'm seeing myself on the screen. Mm. I mean, that's how... Do the... Sorry. Sorry, Bob. I, I, but I want to just get back to something that you talked about earlier. Do the characters on this show, uh, like in Cucumber, do they interact with the younger gay folk? Like, uh, do they do they look at the, the next generation, as it were, and, and do we see the differences it's, there? It's funny, because I would say Cucumber and Banana makes more hay out of these sort of ping-ponging interactions mm. between young and old, mm. and there's more characters, mm-hmm. and that's sort of more a pointed part of the show where looking kind of takes for granted sort of the fluidity, uh, you know, of contact between young and old, although it is primarily about sort of late 20 somethings. There is one, you know, one of the sort of core three is in his probably, he's probably about 40 um, Dom and Dom ends up in a relationship with a guy who's about a decade older than he is played by Scott Bakula. Um, So I think it's playing a little bit more of the, utopian it's all fluid you know the lines between young and old are not as tightly drawn um even though there is less story about those interactions um probably on looking than on cucumber banana yeah i i, I think you're right mm. they and and i think they do that for good to to good measure on cucumber and banana because it gives you that chance to to look at those differences and and, and identity is one of them because the younger cohort um, on those on the English shows um, the way they approach their own sexuality and sexual identity and, and relationships is markedly different than you know the cohort who grew up through the identity politics of, of the 70s and 80s and I you know again being on the older side of that really enjoyed seeing that explored in a way that wasn't didactic either. We don't have people sitting around talking about identity politics, thank God. Um, but I, li- I liked that about it, whereas they, there's less, it, you know, they're, they're just different focuses of, of the shows. Is there steamy sex? No. <laughs> no? There, sex happens, but it's... I, I, it, it doesn't go to full-on sort of aw- the awkwardness of sex. It's not play- quite playing sort of cringe stuff, although Patrick's behavior in and out of bed <laughs> is certainly cringeworthy. Um, I'm glad you hated uh, Patrick too. <laughs> oh, yeah. He was really t- tough to take. Um, I mean, it's funny because the, the, the men are ge- in general very attractive. They're in a beautiful city that I love, San Francisco. But in terms of like eye candy, both uh, in terms of the, the landscape or even the humans, there's something a little um, uh, grainy and washed out about the show and the texture of the show that is not very um, hot, so to, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and I, mm-hmm. while I understand that as a reaction to sort of like the American queerest folk where everything, everyone looked like they sort of had just greased themselves <laughs> up with lube, like and for every shot, like... Everything was sort of glistening uh, and hot flesh tones and tacky and really bad hairstyling. Um, uh, I appreciated a sort of more hipster, subdued, muted look. Again, it speaks to one thing I found sort of unsatisfying about the show. Like it sort of felt, it felt sort of hit, uh, like too cool for school on some level. Like it couldn't commit to 
a stronger, more pointed tone or look or, point or, of, or point attitude of view. towards yeah, its characters. Or point of view, I think, um, which is one thing I liked about Cucumber, which was actually having some commentary not only on its characters but, but sort of on broader queer life and, and where it's come from. And interestingly, you know, Davies set it in the same universe as you like as, as the English queer as folk. So they're still going to the Babylon nightclub. It's still, you know, around Manchester. There's even later on a character from mm. queer as folk who pops up um, in, I think, ep- episode six. Mm. Um, and, I mean, being an outsider, you know, both through gender and country to both of them, also, the attitudes to sex were quite interestingly different. There's still a, um, I don't want to say prudishness because that's that's lazy, but there are different attitudes to sex in both of them that that I found interesting. Which again, I'm not taking either. Different? Do you mean different from each other, or different from uh, what both, you normally both. see? But um, again, I think mm. it's a danger because we have so few of these shows to take either of them as being some sort of, you know, litmus test of you know, the communities they come out of or or, a, or, or are portraying. Um, but I certainly agree with you about the tone. I felt it was all over the place a bit in looking as well, uh, particularly when it changes quite a bit, I think, between the first and the, the second season. And there was some elements in the second season that I found, I don't know if they were aspiring to something different, but it felt it felt visually mm. quite different in the second season. Or did they change up their director of photography? Uh, or I don't know that they did. Know? I'm just having a, I'm, I'm having a um, having a Wikipedia moment here. I did want to mention Ryan one thing uh, you'd be interested to- in that um, uh, Cucumber had uh, one of our favourite directors, uh, Euros Lin, who, if you remember, directed uh, Happy yes. Va- in Happy Valley Broadchurch, and who I didn't realise had done um, an episode of Daredevil. Yes. Well, oh, really? He also did uh, an episode yes. of Black Mirror. Your favorite. Um, did you watch Black Mirror? Oh, Bob? yeah. Loved it. Um, the episode where uh, it was the kids in that video game kind of world that they had to ride the bicycles. Uh-huh. He was the director of yes, that he episode. Was. He, I he's a Welsh director. Um, and Davies yeah. knows him because he did um, yeah. Doctor Who and uh, Torchwood. But he's done um, some cool. more recent stuff, particularly a series called Happy Valley, which was quite stunning. <laughs> Which was amazing, um, amazing. That was one of our top uh, of last year. Happy Valley. Bob did was um, um was looking. I, I didn't obviously. Looking's been cancelled um, after the second season. There's talk of a um, some sort of TV movie to finish it off. Uh, was it popular amongst people you know? Did it get much press over there? I was surprised. I would have thought 15 years on from Queer as Folk might have been the time uh, for something, given that, you know, there are, there are more gays in the village these days, in the TV village. But um, I, it's, I think it's a show that um, amongst my friends and peers, it was a show that we all kind of watched. I mean, I think that... As you as you you know remembered from Queer as Folk and and L Word, like those were shows that were just sort of obligatory viewing. Because well, we're gay and now there's a gay show, and we're going to have a party every time there's an episode of the show, whether we like it or not. Um, uh, and I think a little bit of that still applied to looking, and that you know if you're if I'm hanging out with other gay guys, like we'll bring it up, and everyone's you know more or less current with yeah. the show. 
I will say I didn't meet a single person in person anyway who unqualifiedly loved the yeah. show. Like who was just like a just a straight up fan no. of the show. Um, Why do you think that was? So. Is it was it was it that sen- lack of a sen- likable central character? Was it just the overall you know the way the show went or? Yeah, I think it. I think it speaks to lack a little bit of a lack of point of view and going for something a little more naturalistic, which is something I tend to admire in movies, but in TV I find is a little difficult. Like I, I think people want to know where they stand with characters and they want to know what they're supposed to be feeling about characters. And what's interesting about Looking is that I think it wanted to be a sort of more an investigation of sort of larger issues on some level, if not not specifically political, but sort of. The, you know, a time of life um, and maybe a bit of a cultural moment. And really, I think what people hooked into about the show was sort of more the relationship soap aspect of it. But because it had kind of established a more naturalistic tone, it couldn't quite deliver on that yeah. front. And then it started to deliver on that <laughs> front, I think, a little bit at the end. But it felt like maybe a little bit too, a little too little too yeah. late. Um uh, and particularly in sort of the Patrick and uh, Russell Tovey and Richie thing. Um, for me, I just as a viewer, this is superficial, maybe not worth podcasting. <laughs> I found Richie so compelling yes. and attractive, <laughs> just profoundly attractive that I just became a very crude shipper and like viewer of the show of just like more Richie, more Richie, where's Richie, 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 Richie. Um, and mm. instead the second season investigated uh, Patrick's relationship with, I'm forgetting his, the character's name, um, which the whole time, I think there was such a lack of charisma and an interesting connection between the two yeah. of them. And what's interesting is the final episode of the, of the, the season and potentially the whole show seemed to acknowledge that. And that was sort of the point of the story they were telling was that Patrick was operating under some kind of, oh, well, we're both white and attractive in a vaguely similar-ish way. And, you know, we're both tech professionals and aren't we going to be a great happy couple? But it's weird that they didn't open that can of worms until the finale. And because to me, that can of worms was the most interesting thing about that relationship. And Well, it was was a thing that... Was there was there a bit of a will they won't they? Between no, they they had been together, and like the, the you know it was a. Um, oh. uh, I want to use a twi- a, a twilight analogy here, and I can't remember all the characters' names, <laughs> but um, you know. <laughs> that would work out fine because I don't know any um, of the characters. I think names. <laughs> you know, as, as I mentioned with cucumber, I mean the interesting thing with Patrick was again was or could have been the disconnect between how he was trying to. Um, write his life and orchestrate it this way and his total cluelessness about what was actually happening like as you say he sort of had gone oh i've seen this relationship in an ikea catalog i'm going to have that without actually taking into account you know actual people being involved in it and actual feelings um and of course, the fact that richie was the most smoking hot person in san francisco so it was um I just that you know it became certainly with myself and my friends a bit of hate watching um, around uh, Kevin was Russell Tovey's character's name Kevin and Patrick um, and I think in the second series two dropped away some of the sec- other characters to its detriment tried to pick up the um, uh, Dom's female best friend's character in a way that. And look, and it's hard to tell when a series has been cancelled. Maybe they had great plans for season three, but I think they they floundered a bit through 
season two with what where they were going to go with things and and what was interesting and maybe that's just it not having a a clear vision of what it was whose story it was telling or whose story mm. we cared about. I mean, I I don't know about you, but did you find Kevin actually became compelling once the scales fell from Patrick? I- oh Patrick's yeah, eyes? Th- like that that was all starting like- to get interesting. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I felt we knew so little about. Kevin's character before then, um, and I found Patrick so annoying that it was it was only those last episodes. And when they move into the the gay ghetto condo, um, was hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found a lot of um, possibly unintentional humour in the show as well. I mean, there was a lot of, uh, as you say, the hipster aesthetic. There was a lot of, um, you know. Stuff And that was part of the fun of watching it too because, you know, I'm an inner urban queer and, you know, we're sitting around sipping our kombucha tea and um, and reading through our latest paleo cookbook. And so there was a lot of that that was unintentionally funny in seeing our lives reflected that way. Um, maybe it shouldn't be funny. Maybe it should be really sad and we should all take a good, long, hard look at ourselves. <laughs> um, I do want to mention, I love Scott Bakula's character too. I thought he, I, would, I wanted more of him in the, um, uh, the second season. Um, well, that, that, just one point that's interesting is that you actually have a show where the three core characters are all relatively less evolved and then they have these secondary romances with characters like Scott Bakula and Richie and those are two guys you actually want to spend yeah. time with, but they're they're really like their presence on the show is contingent on uh, you know our leads letting them in or not. Um, so that's kind of a weird, frustrating imbalance in terms of you know the character appeal and how much time characters. Yes, because the bits you do see of their stories as well, and maybe it's because we only do see bits, but they were so tantalizing and interesting, and and Lynn, but. You know, particularly his uh, being of the age he was, and 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 his life, I and and where he finds himself at now, being you know in his fifties or whatever, I I thought was you know interesting, and I thought Scott Bakula did a um, did a great job. Um, but yeah, I, I'm glad it existed. I'm glad I got to watch it. I hope it doesn't put HBO off making you know more gay shows. I'd love. I'd love a frustrating, annoying lesbian-centered or queer women woman-centered show just like this that I could hate watch. That would be that would make me happy. <laughs> um, is this uh, is? Do you think this show would have been more successful or lasted longer if it would have had steamy hot sex in the middle of it? Um, I mean, there was definitely. To be fair, there was sex. It just wasn't my idea of steamy no. hot. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, yes. I mean, I think if it had been a little trashier, and like that's the thing is, like I feel like I I appreciate that it was going for a slightly more artful and nat- and as I said, naturalistic uh, POV. But I, I, it's always this push pull for me where I want stuff to be really high minded, but like truthfully, sometimes TV needs to get dirty and and just let itself be a little trashier and more lurid. Um, uh, and, and actually, this is a question I have of, I don't know, Ryan, if you've watched The L Word, but I think to, to this day, for all its ups and downs, The L Word remains my favorite uh, gay, gay, gay show. Uh, really? Um, I, I mean, I watched a few episodes here and there. Um, it, was, it was shot here. I know a few people that worked on it. Um, 
and I liked it, but I never got into it as a as a series uh, uh, progressed. It, it always seemed uh, a little bit, um, well, not not uh, for me <laughs> is what it was. Like it, it definitely didn't feel like um, I could understand where that was going. Looks like we lost Jules here. Bob, just give me a sec. Let me see if I can, because she would probably know a lot about that. What is it that you liked about the L word? Um, I think it was an interesting mix. I mean, ultimately, I think the first maybe season was very, very fresh and enjoyable. Uh, and then it sort of went off the rails. But it was, I mean, partly because of that, it was an interesting mix of kind of like sort of this mission statement of we're going to tell sort of the lesbian experience in a, in a sort of somewhat grounded, realistic, but entertaining way. And yet, I think Eileen Chaikin, the showrunner's instincts as a storyteller, tend towards the splashy and soapy and populist. So you had sometimes ludicrous plot twists just to drive things. Um, and so it was, it was a funny sort of yin-yang of, of sort of prestige, inter- like tonally prestige, and then also just lurid soap. Um, Mm. And one of the things that I think is most interesting about that show, and I'll, I'll shut up about it in a sec, is that you had this main character, Jenny Schechter, who was sort of like supposed to be our girl next door who enters this world um, as sort of new to the sort of uh, L.A. lesbian scene. And she's supposed to be kind of the ingenue figure. And whether it was always right. in the cards or just because Mia Kirshner always brings such an intense uh, sort of borderline crazy sexuality to her character's that sort of point of view character ended up being the biggest lunatic and eventually became kind of like uh, the Kimberly from Melrose place of Elward. I mean, doing really outrageous, yeah. outsized, uh, villainous things. Um, so, anyhow. Jules, what did you think about the, uh, very quickly, your thoughts on the L word? Were you a fan or not? <laughs> I've never watched it. I am a bad lesbian. Really? <laughs> oh. Look, oh, it, set. it was oh. one of... I know, I know. You'll never speak to me again. Look, it was one of those things. It didn't air on Australian television, and it was okay. before the time when it was easy to get those things by other means. So, the, the, um, talk about you know first world lesbian problems here in Australia. We had to wait for the DVDs, and it just happened to not. You know, I just never got round to watching it. I know most of the characters' names and who they are, and I was so thrilled to see Leisha Haley in the show this week. Um, but uh, yeah, no, I just, I just, it's one of those things. And you know, once there were half a dozen seasons, um, I just, you know, was never in the right time at the right place with a girlfriend who wanted to binge watch six seasons of The L Word. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know if it's worth. I don't know if I'd put it in the category of worth revisiting. Um, but I think it's, as a gay series, it's sort of, it's, I think maybe what I want from a gay theme show, which is to be f- uh, a mix of the serious and grounded and the fun and ludicrous and soapy. Uh, so it, it hit my sweet spot anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, I want the, uh, I certainly want the um, Empire version of a gay series. You know, that's, yes. I want that too. I want the. And you know, the, you, you, they share a showrunner. Do they? I didn't yeah, realize I mean, that. Yeah, was a showrunner of the L Word, oh. and she is currently the showrunner of Empire. Well, there, there you go. I obviously yeah. no, I obviously need to go and watch it then. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they're the shows I want, and I hope. I mean, there's a lot of talk about representation and diversity on television, um, but often what about it's a- homo nor- normalcy? 
Was that what it is? Homonormacy? I've heard that word. I don't know what it means. Yeah. People keep tweeting you things, don't they, Ryan? They do. <laughs> um, but I think it's one thing, like, yes, I want individual characters in shows to be queer or whatever, but I also want to see my culture on TV. And I think the shows we've talked about today are that extra, you know, that extra thing. I want to see some of that on TV as as well, not just, you know, stunt demon number three happens to be queer. That's really nice um, and good and I want that. But I also like having, you know, seeing more of my culture. And those explorations are things that are very particular to our culture. Um, and so even though the shows we've talked about today have been have, have certainly been boy-centric, you know, there's an, a, a very large overlapping Venn diagram with, you know, my experience of queer life. But I would have liked more hot sex of anyone having it because... I was going to say that Venn diagram looks especially like a vagina. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the diagrams I draw are, Ryan, as you know. But, R- Ryan, we should, we should um, share the Holy Trinity with Bob, which is how we basically judge TV shows. Right. So if they don't have swearing, sex, and violence, or swearing, nudity, and violence, uh, we don't watch them. <laughs> <laughs> no, you get extra points, obviously, right off the bat if a series has those three things. I think that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah. So Spartacus was way up there on the list. <laughs> I would say ahead of Game of Thrones in terms of density of those three. Um, yeah, Game, Game of Thrones, yeah. I find, is strangely unsexy, too, a lot of the time. Yes. Yes. It's usually sex position, as they say. <laughs> exactly. Sex position. Yeah. Yes. yes. Sex is happening in the background. There's a nude, um, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's an orgy going on while someone talks about the 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 latest machinations of the court. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is yeah. fine. I mean, but you know. Spartacus did that uh, geniusly. <laughs> well, they usually were having an orgy at the time. Um, this is and what I'm saying. Look, yes, there should be a lot more nudity. There is at least, and I have to say, we actually get a, something strangely missing from, from looking, and, of course, is we don't get any penises, I don't think. Yeah, what the hell? I know. No cock shots? No cock shots. We do get one in um, in Cucumber. Not, I think it's only one right towards the end and it's hilarious i won't spoil it for you bob uh-huh. because i know you will um you will look forward to that but it's uh it's <laughs> well, a very no, i ups- have to finish it you have to finish yeah. it now because in it's either the last or the second last episode there's a close-up penis shot that's that's what they call the proverbial carrot <laughs> now, Ryan, I did want to just briefly before we finish up the dangling I, carrot, Ryan. Yes, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a bit of it's a bit more tofu in the shot that it's in actually, rather than, <laughs> than any other vegetable. Um, or was slightly overcooked. No, I won't say eggplant. It wasn't that big. Um, uh-huh. So, Ryan, you alluded, alluded, you know, before obviously to some extent you're watching these shows um, as someone outside of that culture. Particularly probably more so with Cucumber, I don't know about, about looking so much, but, you know, there are universal themes there and particularly around, you know, being a middle-aged man, which you will be in 20 years' time. Um, Thank you, Jules. <laughs> oh, that's nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. Um, 
But how else, like, I'm trying to look at you as, you know, your audience member I'm trying to pitch to. Would these be shows that you would watch? Is it going to be, well, look, you know, yeah, it might be a good, it's like people who say they don't ever watch science fiction. It might be, Battlestar Galactica might be the best show in the world, but if it's got spaceships, I'm not watching it. Sure. Um, sure, sure, sure. So is that going to be something, um, it's going to, it, uh, it's not going to be top, your it, top uh, 10 because you're going to go, why do I want, want to watch a bunch of gay guys? And that not, yeah, not because you're rampantly homophobic. <laughs> <laughs> it's fake and gay. Um, no, you know what? I don't care if a show is entertaining. It has interesting and enjoyable characters. I'll watch whatever it is. I mean, um, you know, the same can be said for Orange Is the New Black. They're interesting and and vibrant and 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 deep characters. I don't necessarily relate to any of them or where they're coming from necessarily. Um, with these two shows, um, they're just, I mean, it's just very normal. To me, if there was um, steamy, hot sex, I'm, I'm probably less interested, just based on on titillation, I suppose. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it just has to have a good narrative and a good plot and, and move along. And, and I'll watch, I'll watch whatever. Does it necessarily get a place in the dance card and push something else i don't i don't know i mean these haven't obviously so yeah i mean whatever it doesn't it doesn't bother me it's not that it doesn't bother me no it's no, not it's it not was, something i take into account cool but more hot lesbian sex just don't don't tell just don't tell my straight friends i watch <laughs> <laughs> it's okay we'll, we'll, we'll subtitle this no homo um <laughs> but more lesbian sex obviously would help everyone watch it, and I don't know why they don't just, you know, do that for um, shallow ratings reasons. I agree. Yeah. I'm always but happy. With, I'm happy to have really my sexuality lesbian, so. out there, you know, for shallow ratings reasons because, you know, it's the sure. only way we're going to get lesbian sex on the screen. <laughs> Any final Probably. words on the place of gay life in uh, modern television? Bob Barrett. I got to I have to let oh. me hold on just before Bob says I got to say both of these shows were very um it, bringing quote unquote gay lifestyle. I mean <laughs> people who who are gay and have a life <laughs> to a very normal quote unquote normal level. I mean there was nothing it was it was something that everyone could sort of relate to. This is what normal life is like for people. Well, and, and it wasn't which is a bit of a stretch because most gay people are quite extraordinary, and you know, usually our lives are very scintillating and um, full of jazz hands and soundtracks. So I think right. the fiction that we have normal mundane lives was was probably the most interesting part of it. Um, did did you feel hey, over fiction? Okay. Yes. Did you feel overwhelmed yeah. by the gay agenda, Ryan? Um, I I feel overwhelmed by the gay agenda every time we do an episode, Jules. <laughs> now, when, at at your gay agenda meetings, when you guys were planning on launching these shows, did we talk about the home normal normacy? Is that a thing? I don't know, talk, but I want I that. Know what that means? I want that on a hashtag and a t-shirt immediately, Ryan. All right, sure. um, um, all right. I think sorry, I asked Bob a deep, meaningful question, which he's going to give yeah, an erudite did. answer to using the word structuralist and possibly hegemony in. <laughs> uh, well, I, I'm going to fail you on the, on the use of those two words, but 
I mean, it's it's inter- it's an interesting situation because on the one hand, now we have these two shows looking and and cucumber and, and banana that are kind of they're the post exemplar, like the first wave of shows that are this is gay life slices of gay life have you know come and gone, and now this is the next generation. They're free to be a little darker and a little less sort of positive represent re- you know Role representations. <laughs> What's that? Role models. Role modely. And so yes. that's liberating and, and great. The question is, when, like, it, it sounds to me pretty clearly that this is not a must watch for Ryan. And he's, um, you know, no homo aside, <laughs> you know, this is an enlightened modern male, like, you know, heterosexual male who's comfortable with this stuff. The question is, what's it going to take for a show that's maybe predominantly or 50% or whatever gay? Um, that will become must see TV, like must see television for a wider swat. Like, wh- what is the issue that their organizing principle is to a certain extent? I think Cucumber Banana more complexly, but certainly looking, this is a, a modern slice of gay life. Like, will it take a show that has a more dynamic or evolved premise that's, a, you know, sort of a combination or hybrid? And I do think that Cucumber Banana are kind of moving in that direction, but. Um, and I mean, even looking at like Orange is a New Black, that's a case with a lot of lesbian content, lesbian sto- stories, but it's a story of a prison. It's a story of, a, you know, it's it's not just a slice of life dramedy, I guess. No. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if we're ever going to see a successful mainstream breakout slice of life gay dramedy ever, you know, that that crosses that barrier or if, you it, know, I, I, I think Transparent may have come close to that. But or is that is that still more too on hitting the the nail on the head a little bit too squarely? Well, I think because transparent, even though it deals with those issues and does have a trans character at its center, um, it's such an ensemble show that I, it almost didn't wouldn't have even occurred to me that, as being part of the same conversation. Although it certainly is on on some level, so I don't know. Um, well, uh, go back going back to the fact that we mentioned um, Empire before. I mean. And looking at the fact that that has been, you know, if you like, lauded as a show that is, you know, all about, uh, you know, black characters and and obviously not a slice of life. <laughs> well, it's a slice uh-huh. of a certain sort of life. But, you know, I, I'll come back to that. That might be the way to go if you want, if you are aiming for a mainstream audience. But then again, I also think I don't necessarily care if a mainstream audience watches it. Now, that's part of being able to make these two sorts of shows yeah. is being able to have that texture. And I don't know about looking, but certainly the Banana and Cucumber, they were all queer writers as well. And I read quite a number of interviews with the writers of Banana um, uh, who, you know, who had were talking about bits of their own life that they'd brought into it. And I like that. I, sometimes I don't care what a mainstream audience thinks because you use a different voice if you're talking to people who already know the story. Yeah. Um, it's a bit like writing fanfic, you know, I don't need to introduce you to the characters and the culture and the universe because you know it. That's what these stories were able to do is they don't have to have people giving exposition about, you know, our culture, if queer, cult, queer urban culture, if you like, because they're assuming the people watching it know all that already. And that means you can start your story at a, at a more evolved place than if you are going, gee, how do we explain this and sell this to someone else? I think the main thing is we just need that diversity as well. So I still want my niche little, I don't care if people don't understand all this and it doesn't appeal to 
um, you know, the Midwest, uh, straight Midwest. Um, but you m- please make make the queer empire and and mm-hmm. have something adorably, fabulously wrong and big and blousy that people will go, oh my god, I love it, despite the fact that it's so gay. Mm-hmm. And will will we see something like um, you know twenty four with Jack Bauer as a, a gay character or something like that, where? It- the the fact that he's homosexual doesn't come into play with but the Jack fact Bale that he's also a hero. But Jack Bauer was gay. Well, Wasn't Jack I mean, Bauer he had a gay? wife and a daughter, so <laughs> no. He wasn't the version I, I so. watched. That might have just I mean, been in my head. We only saw a couple of days out of his life. I don't know what he yeah. did on the other day. Right, he was so busy. He didn't have time for gay sex. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, maybe that's all he had time it, for. He didn't have grinder then, so it's uh, <laughs> twenty-four with grinder. Hey, I'm just He's like I got thirteen minutes. I'm pitching yeah. that now. Twenty-four with grinder. I love it. Um, yeah, but I think it's like anything. I mean, from my point of view, anything with diversity, it's about telling. Different stories that you're not going to hear otherwise, and that all of that should happen. Yes, we want to gay Jack Bauer and uh, you know two trans cops in Law and Order version seventy five, and 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 all you know you want all those those things. At the same time, we still work in a commercial world that has um, demands, and that's going to be slow to happen. I think. I don't know, Bob. Do you sure. think it's yeah. is that you know, as as a TV writer, is that is there more space now for that? Is it still a consideration? Are you still uh, – and, you know, I don't think – I'm not suggesting there's studio people standing over going, too many homosexuals in this. Mm. <laughs> yeah. um, but is the environment know, I mean, broader? Well, let me ask you this. Does anyone ever stand over your shoulder and say, uh, I like this, but could you turn up the queer baiting a bit? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's just let's I'm, just say I'm no. I'm terrified to say a word at this point. Um, <laughs> it, but it, I I don't know this. Like I feel like we're opening up perhaps a separate episode of. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. Yeah. But the, um, the point is, it has happened. I mean, things like the yeah. Flash has got a queer detective, you know, a gay detective on it, which you know, it, I, I think that uh, s- subtle infiltration is happening. Um, and it, it's the same – it happens slowly. I mean, it's the same way we've seen characters of colour come on, on onto TV shows and it's been excruciatingly slow, but it gets to the point where it becomes less of a big event. It's just so, so slow. And I think the same is happening with, with you know, with queer and even gender-diverse characters with having, you know, people like Laverne Cox on Orange is the New Black. But um, – and you know it is it's a bit like the foot in the door i mean i i've no doubt things will change over time but um it's also got to operate within the realm of the stories that people want to pay to be told too yeah um but, but I, I think i think it's happening and i think yeah, i think the takeaway from an, uh, the success of empire it seems to be and not to wade into the whole uh, deadline controversy surrounding that but it's a case where, like, it's clear that diversity sells, and particularly in a case with, like, wa- like waning network numbers, like, people are compelled by that show because they haven't seen it before. Yeah. And it, it, it combines elements of, you know, familiar, not, like, outsized nighttime soap with a completely different world that people are ready to see. And, like, 
you know, it's the numbers are huge with the black audience and they're huge with the white audience. Yeah. And and they kept I going think, up during the season. It was Yeah. So I think I, I don't think we're that far away from the, the gay version of actually, yeah, it's, I mean it gives me hope that we're not that far from sort of gay version of Empire. But even if we don't see a a show that's quite as clear a victory in that regard, it's all you know, it's a it's a spectrum and it's happening. Even what is even the what is the queer version of Empire? What what would that look like? Well, if, if pretty I much knew, Empire. <laughs> <laughs> what's that? Yeah. Pretty much the, what Empire looks like. I think it is about the campus okay. show around. <laughs> I thought you said the British Empire. <laughs> the, <gay version laughs> the British of Empire. Empire. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that looks very queer. Am I right? But honestly, you just put it to me, and as a writer, I. I I don't have the answer, but as soon as I do, I'm not saying it on a podcast. I'm going to try to sell <laughs> yeah. that shit. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Package it up. Yeah. Well, this has been enlightening and wonderful and, and fantastic, Bob. Thank you so much for and, joining us and, and slightly, teaching us all about slightly arous- <laughs> Slightly arousing. Did, Brian, do you feel wow. like you got the full coverage of uh, gay experience? Or <laughs> well, not the full coverage, but, you know, I'm... <laughs> Let's just say, uh, you know. How did Jules put it at the beginning of the podcast? What do we we want to Co- cover him cover in the guy? <laughs> I've seen those videos too. Not impressed. <laughs> I, keep, um, I keep sending them to you. <laughs> uh, I'm, you know, I, I definitely look forward to a time when we can watch television and it's gay and straight and transgender and. Cis white people aren't dominating the the <laughs> airwaves as much as they are today, and I don't think we're that far. But you know, we we still have a ways to go. And to me, it's just it's just fun, and that's what it's about. It's not really about seeing yourself; it's about putting yourself in the shoes of other people, and that's yeah. I think that's important. Very cool, Bob. What should people be watching? What other shows should people be watching? Real quick, just name off two of your favorite shows. Possibly oh, the God. one you work on as well. <laughs> Supernatural. You, you got to be watching Supernatural. Yeah. Um, and and um, oh, I feel like on the spot because I'm always looking for a platform to rave about shows. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Go on. We know which one I you're lo- going to mention. I, I, I'm I'm horrible. I've just been watching Archer, um, <laughs> which everyone already knows about. Um, yeah. And I do think the season of Louie has been pretty uh, superb so far. So. And uh, I think there's actually a conversation about gender and, and sexuality to be had about uh, the most recent episode of Louie, episode four of this Definitely, season. Definitely, which oh, I, have, cool. I, I had to watch given the things I was reading about it. So, uh-huh. uh, oh, very cool. We might a have future to, conversation. A few, def- yeah, exactly. definitely, Louie's gone. So- um, one for you that I know is not going to be on your radar, but I think you really need to watch it. I'd love to hear your uh, thoughts is Man Seeking Woman. Oh, I think you yeah, you had mentioned actually over Twitter that I got to check it yeah. out. So I I will I will look into it. And that was one that Jules was like, I don't want to watch this. And <laughs> Jules, okay, it was really really funny. All yeah, right. <laughs> well, I suppose. All right. I suppose if you it. watched Looking and yeah. Cucumber Banana oh, yeah. for us, I can I can right. give you a man seeking right. woman. <laughs> Just okay. go straight to the one with the Japanese tentacle sex monster. That's that's 
really funny. Thanks for well, listening. I can't let you if go you without like giving you an opportunity to plug the good wife. Please consider giving us a review on iTunes. That relationship Send email to fans at tvchinwag.com oh, or follow on Twitter I, I at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music, Ryan, Jules, and myself. Thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. They've been having a few story problems, but... I, it's a it's an amazing show and it's a show at, at which a lot of people say this but it's a show that the title and the network it's on it just nothing about it screams what essential groundbreaking television um and i don't i don't think that it is necessarily like its defining feature is groundbreaking but i think it is an evolution of the sort of classic network quality show mm-hmm. that the networks have kind of given they've gone to micro audiences they've they've gone to soap they've dug you know uh doubled down on procedural but like the kind of er west wing like grown-up professional like drama just drama like they just they don't make them anymore or they don't make them as good as they used to and this is both it harkens back to that era of really good just compelling once you watch you got to keep watching shows like that and has taken it in certain political and sort of and um uh, psychological ways taken it it's it's been influenced by cable and evolved as you know in relationship to cable and where cable stuff has gone um so it's a really great hybrid of those two things and i think it's uh it's not it's not watched or taken seriously by as many people as it should be so I, I still love it. Still love you, the good way. Jules, have you watched it? Um, no, it's been one of those ones on my yeah. list, which you, which then you turn around and go, oh, God, there's five seasons of it. I'll have to wait till I break my leg and uh-huh. um, binge watch it. <laughs> yeah, Thank you again, exactly. Bob, for being with us. We would love to have you back on at some time to talk about our favourite thing, which is television and I think television and other things. And how television is delivered oh, in this shut modern up. world. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for coming, Bob. Yeah, thanks so Appreciate much for having it. me. I had a great time. Thanks, thanks guys.